Chapter 2 Polly and the Friendly Badge Man It had just passed 10 p.m. when there was a knock at Polly's door. This struck Polly as odd for several reasons. Firstly, she lived on the third floor, usually the buzzer would sound before a knock. Secondly, she lived in London and it was a Tuesday. Nobody ever popped around on the off chance. And thirdly, Polly had just been thinking about how people never pop around on the off chance anymore. She wasn't the most safety-conscious person in the world, so despite the lateness of the hour, she hurried to her door, shouting, On my way! As she approached the door, a name sprung into her head, and with it, a connection to whom the late-night caller might be. Bert. If anyone in the whole world could be responsible for a late-night knock at the door, it would be, without a doubt, something to do with Bert. Bert had that utterly fabulous quality of never being somewhere when you want him and being everywhere when you don't. Polly hadn't seen her brother in over ten years and, seeing as he had never met any of her friends, she often wondered if Bert even existed at all. Even his name sounded silly enough to be made up. Then again, so did hers. She had often wondered who in their right mind takes a look at a small bundle of life not a day upon the earth and decides Polly, or Bert, as suitable aliases to carry around with them for the next 90-odd years. Polly often damned her parents and their sense of humor, or lack thereof. Then guilt kicked in since they had both died some moons ago. Assuming he did exist, Bert was Polly's brother. His age was unknown, mainly as Polly couldn't remember what it was, and Bert didn't keep track. In truth, Most details of Bert were relatively hazy. Hello? Floated the sound of a distinctly male voice through her front door. Ah, hello, she replied, opening the door. There in front of her stood an unfamiliar and yet, in Polly's immediate opinion, a friendly-looking man who was not Bert. At a glance, he was significantly taller than Polly and wearing a jacket with a little yellow badge on it saying, friendly. I'm sorry if it strikes you as odd, knocking at your door at such an ungodly hour, said the friendly badge man. No, not at all, said Polly. This is weird, she thought. Someone let me into the building downstairs, so I came straight up. He beamed at her. Ah, right, nodded Polly. Why is it that some people don't seem to mind leaving a bit of silence in a conversation? Polly wondered. She had many friends that seemed happy with these sorts of circumstances, but not our Polly. Her natural response was to fill the void with sound, regardless as to if it made any sense, which it most certainly never did. Polly started to feel awkward on behalf of the stranger on her doorstep. Well, this is awkward, um... So. How can I help? She said, smiling. I'm sorry, I should explain myself, he replied. You must think I'm some kind of crazy murderer. No, not at all, Polly said, which was quite the opposite of what she was thinking. Now the reality was starting to kick in. Polly was stood in her doorway, door wide open in nothing but a Power Rangers t-shirt, which wasn't hers, but that wasn't the point, and some jogging bottoms. 
It was late at night, and there was a tall man that she didn't know standing in front of her. She could see it now in future press releases. Missing, a young woman from Putney. She was last seen in a Power Rangers t-shirt. My name is Donald, the friendly badge man said. What a ridiculous name, Polly thought. I'm not stopping, he continued. I've come on behalf of your brother, Bert. He gave me a key to get in the front door. Hang on, I thought you said someone let you in, said Polly, immediately suspicious. Well, yes, I did. But I thought if I told you straight off that I'd let myself in, you may have been a bit wary and then asked lots of questions which I don't have time for. Donald tapped his foot nervously. Yes, you're right. This way is far better. I wouldn't have thought of that. Polly replied dryly. I have to pass you this code, said Donald, in a tone that told Polly her previous sarcasm had been lost on him. This code, he continued, holds the key to everything. Please listen to me when I say that this code will bring you whatever it is you desire. It holds an infinite amount of power. Okay, right, said Polly, accepting the folded piece of paper. I know this all seems a bit bewildering and don't feel at liberty to do anything if you don't wish to. Throw it away, you can. It is a beautiful universe we have, one that holds choice. Okay, Polly didn't know what else to say to that. I must leave now, but you can ask me two questions before I go. Two questions? Repeated Polly. Yes. That wasn't one of them used up, was it? No, I'm not a genie. No, of course not, because that would be ridiculous sneered Polly. Please hurry, asked Donald, looking uncomfortable. Polly's mind raced for a question. She must ask this loony something useful, as she knew he had something to do with Bert. What was he playing at? She must think quickly. Um, why is it written on paper? What? Why is it written on paper? Continued Polly in what she thought was a confident manner. He gave her a perplexed look. I'm not sure I understand. Well, I mean, this password. Code, corrected Donald. What? It's a code, not a password. Oh, yes, sorry. Polly tried again. This code holds all this power and stuff. Key to everything. This code holds the key to everything and will bring you whatever it is you desire. It holds infinite amounts of power. Sorry, yes, that. So, why is it on a piece of paper? It seems strange. Why is it not on something more futuristic, like a... Polly cast around for an example. Like a USB stick or something. There was a long pause as Donald looked at her, unblinking. This is what troubles you the most? he asked. Well, not the most, but it seems as good a start as any. Well, 
It just is. This is how it's being communicated to you. By the medium of paper. Oh. Okay. Is it some kind of special paper? Unbreakable paper? Or invisible paper? Polly continued. No, it's just paper. A4 in size, Donald offered. Ah, okay. Polly tried to give him the impression that the information was useful. I must say, your questions are not what I expected. Maybe this is why you've been past the code. But I must leave now. I'm sorry to have caused you any inconvenience. No, not at all. My pleasure. Polly engaged the smile she reserved for charity collectors and her boss. Good night, Miss Polly. Um, goodbye then, Donald. Only 23 humans in the entire world had knowingly met an alien. Approximately 18 Earth months after the first publicized contact from over there, the invitation of the millennia arrived over the airwaves. Over there invited Earth to visit. This very first meeting was a cause of great embarrassment to Earth and had somehow, by way of a blessing, remained relatively unknown or conveniently forgotten over time. Naturally, there was a lot of excitement at the time and a whole heap of logistics to sort. If you thought it was a pain in the arse trying to get to your mate's house in Bethnal Green on a Sunday during a public transport strike, then you need to alter your perspective considerably. The plan was to meet on the moon. Knowing of Earth's limited skill set for space travel, over there sensitively chose a destination that would provide a sense of common ground for Earth and its eager yet fragile sense of achievement. For everyone involved on Earth, it was the most exciting thing to happen since the initial contact itself. Everything, from the invite turning up to having to pack fresh socks and buy miniature space toiletries, was all anyone could talk about for months. With every angle analyzed, every moment anticipated, the flush of a budding young romance flourished in all but the hardest of hearts. Earth had a date. Seven astronauts were carefully selected from each continent, four women and three men, with trillions and trillions of global donations. It was a genuinely touching moment to watch great nations unite in this common goal. The magnificent seven were selected in the most meticulous and grueling way. They were young, primed, and ready to represent. The entire recruitment process occurred with somewhat of a dreamlike quality. Never in human history had the planet come together with such elegance, precision, and drive. It was as if the entire future of humanity depended on it. On the morning of the 25th of November, as the selected few set off, the whole globe tuned in to watch the event, with people openly weeping in the streets with pride. The meeting itself was described afterwards, by the seven members still capable of articulating it, as the closest feeling to the divine they had ever experienced. Sadly, all the recording equipment cut out moments before the moon landing took place, leaving many baffled and fuming. Needless to say, no one was particularly happy about having to rely on the drawings. With this oversight representing the pinnacle of all that was wrong with Earth, 
British publications such as UK Today had a field day. There was a follow-up article about an inevitable alien invasion and how most Brits did not want aliens coming over here taking all our jobs. Interestingly, UK Today was more pertinent to Polly than she realized. The very day the alien invasion article was published, there was, for the first time in the history of the tabloid, a fascinating and vital article by one Donald Pigeon, the friendly badge man. In short, it wasn't Polly's fault that she couldn't pick an alien out of a lineup, but she was reasonably sure that, if she had met an alien, they would probably look a bit like Donald. Here stood this 27-year-old woman-child, dumbstruck and looking at a now-closed front door. Her mind engaged in what we imagine to be a state of steady evaluation and reflection, but, more accurately, was a painfully slow relaying of events. Did that just happen? echoed over and over in Polly's mind. After what felt like ice ages, but was perhaps only several minutes, Polly suddenly leapt into action. Throwing on her mock polar bear slippers, she wrenched open the door and flung herself down the stairwell. If she was quick enough, she might just catch up with him. Bursting out into the chilly night, Polly looked all around her, including up at the inky black sky. Why she checked the sky, she wasn't quite sure, perhaps to see if he was an alien, and he did look a bit alien-like, flying back to his spaceship. Could aliens fly? It was anyone's guess. Speed walking to the end of her street, she stole a look down the road leading to the common. It was unusually cold for January, and seeing as global warming had yet again failed to deliver the promised tropical winter to the British Isles, this wasn't all that surprising. There were still a few people out and about. There was a couple wandering around looking lost, one man in a cape, and a girl teetering along clutching what looked like some sort of kebab, probably from the van of death on the corner. Other than the standard late-night scraps of people, there was nothing of any great interest, only the standard leafy landscape of West London, and certainly no skyscraping potential aliens. Polly decided to head back to her flat, feeling stupid and far more aware of her appearance than she had been when she left less than five minutes ago. I'm going to get myself a nice cup of tea and have a little think about all of this, she thought to herself as she shuffled indoors to the warm glow of her flat. Putting the kettle on, she reached up for her favorite chai blend and went to open the fridge. Damn. No milk. And she'd forgotten to ask after Bert, too.